Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we have a national champion in college baseball. Ole Miss won the College World Series. They swept Oklahoma over the weekend in the finals and uh, bringing an end to the 2022 season with Ole Miss winning their first ever national championship. Uh, in baseball, quite the quite the scenes in Omaha where Joe still is. I uh, I got out already. Uh, we're, uh, we're we record this on Tuesday, and Joe, you're you're leaving Omaha soon. But uh, uh, we uh, we had a great time in Omaha. I hope everyone else had a great time in Omaha. I will tell you, Ole Miss fans, they definitely had a great time in Omaha. Yeah, if the if the Jello shot count is to be believed, and I think the the uh, <laughs> the results have been certified. That uh, that Ole Miss ran away with that uh, <clears throat> that particular competition and had a good time with it. Also, a, there was a charitable endeavor attached to that with uh, food insecurity on respective campuses for Arkansas and Ole Miss. That was and Oklahoma uh, as well at the end of it. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. So kind of a cool deal there in general. Shout out to Rocco's. Um, but yes, I, I am in Omaha for an extra day. Uh, you know. Teddy lives in a place where there are many more flights than the place where I live. So he was able to uh, take off, you know, and switch his flight and get out a day early. I meanwhile hung back and uh, it was a beautiful day in Omaha. So that was, that was nice. I went and got Runza, my first ever Runza experience. I got that for dinner. The quick uh, review of it is that the, actually the fries surprisingly good. It's like, a, I don't say surprisingly good because I had no expectation, I guess, but the fries were good. They're crinkle cut, which I'm a fan of uh, generally. So uh, those were good. They were well salted. I know that's, that probably differs on restaurant to restaurant from moment to moment who's working the fries, but uh, they were well salted in this case. The runs of sandwich, I liked the bread. Um, that was one of my favorite parts about it. It kind of reminded me, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. It kind of reminded me of a kolache, um, which is like, if you're from Texas, you know exactly what I'm thinking of. If you're from the Midwest, you're thinking of something that's like similar, but not quite what I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, those tend to be like fruit based or like pastry based. Yes, the, the Texans took the Czech dish in a completely different direction than, than the, so, rest of, <laughs> the rest of the heritage. Yeah. So it's um, but it, the bread reminds me of that um, kind of soft and, and kind of fluffy, but flaky on the inside. Uh, so that was good. Um, I got the cheese runza, which is the ground beef, which is basically like a slice of, you know, cheeseburger cheese on top of it. Um, and it was good. It, it's it's surprising. So there's onions and cabbage mixed in with the ground beef in the runza sandwich. And I was kind of surri- surprised by how per- it was spiced well. Like I liked the, the flavor, but the onion is pretty pervasive. And that's what onions tend to do. But um, it is it's pretty oniony. 
Um, so maybe I would have liked there to be like a more pervasive, different seasoning there. I liked it, like I said, but like it maybe would have been more interesting if it was a little less oniony to me. And again, maybe that depends on which runs you're at, time of day, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. But generally a positive review. I will happily eat at runs again in my future trips to Omaha. I, I don't know that I'm going to like rush out to do so. It is not going to be like a thing that I, I, I do like the first day I get here in future years, but in a pinch, I, it certainly did the trick and they have all kinds of different runs of sandwiches for my first experience with runs. I wanted to get something pretty basic just to get the baseline experience, but they do have other types of more just different runs of sandwiches. And I guess in the future, I will maybe give those a shot, but my overall review is, is pretty positive. I would, I would recommend it. It's different, which I think is good. You know, so many of these regional fast food places are just some version of burgers or some version of chicken and they're all good. We've talked about that, but it is kind of nice that this was something just altogether different. It is different. Not that I've had one, but it's different. Um, and uh, you got to leave downtown Omaha if you're going to do it is, uh, is the other thing. And I generally recommend leaving downtown Omaha. It's uh, there's, there's a big city out there behind the little downtown and uh, some of it's pretty good. So uh, the next time you're in Omaha, Joe, Joe is endorsing runs. I, you know, and I feel like most people I'm like super late on it. I mean, I've been here, this is my fourth time at the college covering the college world series in some capacity. And it's the first time I've been there. So I'm pretty sure, you know, if you're bringing your, you know, bringing your family down here, there's, I think a lot of those families have probably beaten me to it, but yeah, I mean, if it's, if you're coming down for your first time or if you've not done it, then, uh, give it a, give it a go. I think it was pretty good. It's just, it's just different. Like more than anything else. That's what I can tell you is that it's different than a lot of other fast food experiences you're going to have. And so I, that's, that's part of why I recommend it. All right. So what was also different was that an SEC team won the college world series. Oh no, that's, that's, that's not different at yeah. all. <laughs> um, change. Yes. Uh, so for the third year in a row, the SEC, uh, an SEC team won the college world series for the fourth time in five years. And for like the billionth time this, this decade uh, or in, in char- what is now known as Charles Schwab Field, an SEC, SEC team dogpiled. This time it was Ole Miss, and that is a change. Ole Miss is one of those programs that, uh, you know, has always been a really solid program. Their difficulties in getting to Omaha have been very well documented since 2014. They had not been there, uh, but they, uh, they, they were the, the last team standing this year. Uh, last team in the field, last team standing. That's been pretty well documented as well. I wrote about that um, at baseballamerica.com, just running through the incredibleness of this story. Uh, and I mean, we can go there, Joe. We can focus more on how they beat Oklahoma, which was it, remarkable in itself. Um, you know, Jack Doherty got the ball in game one in our preview episode. I just assumed that it would be Hunter Elliott on short rest. Uh, it wound up being Jack Doherty, who threw five perfect innings to start the game. Uh, their offense came through with timely hitting, both in game one and game two. The way game two was decided with, uh, you know, wild pitches scoring the the runs that that put Ole Miss ahead and, and then gave them an insurance run. That was, that was wild. Uh, there was an interference play for the second time in a huge spot in the postseason uh, interference at first base uh, due to the, the running lane situation, which I don't sense is going to be a big talking point, but really probably should be. 
for the rules committee moving forward. There, there's a lot that went into this, uh, Joe. So I mean, we can we can start anywhere you want. We can start with the the actual games. We can start with the the whole Ole Miss story. Take take us where you want to take us. I mean, I think you here you have to start with the the whole the totality of the Ole Miss story and how they ended up here. I mean, we've we've been fairly explicit about it throughout this postseason run, but take it a step further when when they were seven and 14 in the sec so they've got three sec series left i think i mentioned on the this previous is on May that, one they're leaving fayetteville having gone having lost to arkansas they're seven and 14 with yes as joe points out three sec series left and by the way like i'm sure you know this listening to this podcast but the margin for error is gone at that point 14 and 16 is hard uh like, like you can work that and get into the tournament almost just did but you lose more than two more games down the stretch in SEC play, and you're you're fighting a massive uphill battle. You know, and they were technically, like we said on the previous episode, they were technically still fighting to get to Hoover, even though we were like, well, they're, they're probably going to do that. But regardless, that's, I mean, that's really how dire things were. At that point, if that season goes the way we think it does, and they go 12 and 18 in the SEC, and then they you know, maybe, maybe they want a game in Hoover. Maybe they don't, but then regardless, they're eliminated. Like Mike Bianco and that staff are gone. Um, that maybe. was just happening that like, I, I remain very skeptical of that. Maybe. I mean, that might be true, but if that is true, then every person locally who's writing about this is wrong about that. <laughs> like, that's, like that's I the get thing. that. It's, like, it's just like, there's the buyout would have been so much, so much. So, I, you know, I, and, and the good, the good news is like it certainly, certainly for, for Bianco and that staff is they don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, Keith Carter, the AD does not have to worry about doing that anymore. Like that's just kind of the, uh, the, the beauty of the situation, but that's, that's where this was heading. And even if for some reason they don't move on from him at that point, um, it's a, it's going to be a very contentious situation. Yeah. He's um, certainly and, going into 2023 in a, like the fan base is not happy situation. And like, I just talked about how big the buyout would have been uh, this year. Like may, it, it, it still would be large in a year if they, if they had wanted to do it, but like it gets more palatable with each passing year. Right. Cause you're on your contract further down. So whether they push him out or they stick with him, like it's not going to be a positive situation. There's going to be a, like, you're either going to be saying goodbye to a coach that has completely reshaped what Ole Miss baseball is. It's easy to forget now, but they were nowhere when he got there, essentially. Or you're going to go into 2023 with a coach that your fan base is fed up with, basically. Um, Neither of those situations are real fun. And so they go from that to now winning the College World Series and taking all of that off the table and now – you know, Mike Bianco and that staffer in these, in this team, which is not anywhere probably all that close to being the most raw talented team. I mean, I was listening to, you know, just a couple of reading some things and listening to podcasts and and there were some, some accounting of, you know, some of the teams in the past that have not gotten to, to this point have not even gotten to Omaha. Right. And like, there's a lot of really talented teams. This team has had most notably, the one last year that was, you know, until Gunnar Hoagland was injured, obviously they had that one, two punch in the rotation and 2020 might've been one of the better teams they've had. And that season got canceled and there were teams led by Drew Pomeranz and the 2005 team is thought about as maybe the most talented in Ole Miss history. And all of those teams came up short. 
Um, and this one did it. And in some ways, I think like, yes, would it have been cool that Ole Miss's first national title came with a team as good as let's say Tennessee's this year, where you just lay waste to the SEC and you, you know, then you hypothetically get to the postseason and you finish it off with the national title like that would undoubtedly be cool for those fans. But there is something about this team doing it this way that I think is also uniquely rewarding. I also want to like this team was a really good team. Like let's not lose sight of the fact just because they took a very circuitous route here, but they were the number one team in the country. Uh, They were a top 10 team in the preseason. They have an Ole Miss legend in Tim Elko and, Actually, Kevin Graham is right there. He's just not – his story isn't as cool because he didn't, like, play half of last year on one knee. Uh, but Kevin Graham has a chance to go down um, as one of the best players in Ole Miss history. They have an elite draft prospect in Jacob Gonzalez, who's a top five to ten pick in next year's draft. Um, you know, Dylan DeLucha is a legit – dude i don't quite know where he lands on the like spectrum of legend because he's only there for a year and really only did this for half a year uh but he is college world series most outstanding player but he's not like a massive draft prospect but he's he is also a pro prospect hunter elliott though no question about it premium high school recruit a year ago uh like crown jewel of the recruiting class lived up to it already and like we'll see what he does in the future um there's a lot going on on this team in terms of raw talent. Like if anything, this just speaks to how good Ole Miss teams in the past were that we're looking around like this team, like, I don't know, like this teams are really good on pure talent. Um, you know, you can't ask for a whole lot more out of, out of anything. And that is what made April when they lost four straight sec series, both so confounding and frustrating because this is a team that you look at and and there's a lot of reason to believe in them and there's a number of reasons why things happen this way you know they just a bench was hurt for a while and clearly it took them a while to figure out that delucha and elliot were the top two starters um but like also players throughout the season are allowed to get better and you know delucha maybe was ready on opening weekend, maybe wasn't, you know, who knows, but Hunter Elliott, you know, having to settle into this role as a, as a freshman, like that happens. And they did get it together in time by, by the time the calendar was flipping to May, they nearly won that series in Arkansas. It was a rubber game on Sunday. They left the bases loaded in the ninth inning down one run. Like they, they very easily could have won that series in Arkansas. They didn't though. uh, And so they were, really staring their mortality in the face at that point and so may and june they catch fire and and it's it's incredible but uh there is there is just a lot of a lot of experience on this roster and a lot of pure talent on this roster as well and that's what you saw over the last six seven weeks most amazingly i looked it up real quick uh there was one team that had in the rotation lance lynn and drew pomerantz a couple of big leaguers just cutting it up front of the rotation anyway. Um, yes. I mean, this is going to, I mean, this is look, we remember, I don't want to say all the national champions, but we do largely remember the team that wins in the end. Um, and we can like pick out little things about that team. Right. But I mean, this is, I think one that's just going to be remembered, um, 
really positively, obviously. I mean, Ole Miss fans, obviously, you know, uh, probably won't be remembered positively by, you know, fans of their rivals, um, but largely by just the general college baseball public. I think this is one that people are going to remember. It's just a special run. It's a team that had, you mentioned the no margin for error. It's just rare that, you know, everybody has no margin for error in the postseason, right? Sure, always two losses from going home. Um, but to do that, I mean, they've essentially been in a no margin for error situation since, you know, falling to the, their nadir, at, you know, entering May. Um, and yeah, when they, when they make the field, like maybe, okay, then you're in a little bit of a house money situation. So it, do, it does change the dynamic a little bit, but still, uh, you know, just the idea that they were just playing with that on the road, uh, basically the whole time and slayed some dragons along the way. Right. I mean, it's like the history of like, they've lost to my, they've been in my Coral Gables regional before and lost with good teams. Uh, they played Arizona in a, in that regional, they played them in a super regional last year and lost, um, you know, Southern Miss has been a thorn in their side just as a in-state rival. Right. Um, so there were some, it, it wasn't just that they did it. They got a, you know, a relatively stiff draw. I guess you could argue about like, okay, go into the road on the road in Hattiesburg is not the same as on the road against a team. They don't play every year, whatever, whatever. But the fact that it was an in-state rival also gives that a little more juice. It was not an easy road and they, and they pulled it off with zero margin for error. Um, and that makes it all the more special. And really as we kind of, unless you have something else in the big picture, like they really left no doubt in these two games, honestly, like, yes, the second game was tight. Uh, that, that game could have gone a lot of different ways, but ultimately when you look back on it, there was no real singular moment at which it felt like OU was controlling the game, even as they took a lead relatively late in game two. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I never was really convinced that lead was, was holding up, honestly. The, you know, that game was, was strange um, for a number of reasons, but they, they, Ole Miss never really felt like they weren't in control of uh, of the finals. I, I think that's fair to say. Like, Cade Horton pitched incredibly well again, but Hunter Elliott was matching him or close to matching him throughout the game. And Oklahoma really wasn't doing anything with the fact that they had a guy just trying to throw the team on his back. You know, their offense couldn't, couldn't get anything going. Um, and I do think just some of that is the belief that Ole Miss was playing with that, you know, we talked about it um, on the preview podcast, Dave Van Horn, like very explicitly said it. I think it was DBH that said it. Um, I don't know. So somebody prominent said like, you know, yeah, Oklahoma, uh, maybe it was a quote from Jay Johnson. I was reading anyway, some other SEC West coach said like, yeah, Oklahoma has their pitching set up, but like, is it even going to matter with the way Ole Miss was playing? And it didn't. Uh, Jake Bennett got hit um, on on Friday and Jack Doherty did it like that was just the way this whole thing went for Ole Miss and uh, you know team of destiny or whatever but they uh, they certainly took the opportunity that the selection committee afforded them and they ran with it and they ran with it all the way to Omaha and all the way to a dog pile at the center of Charles Schwab Field and uh, it was uh, yeah I, the, the finals itself was uh, I mean, just like just like everything else throughout that run, it was uh, you know Ole Miss running the show. Yeah, it was, and it was a little bit you know jarring to, and I think Ole Miss imposed their will kind of from the start, and I do think that kind of imposed the game onto Oklahoma, and Oklahoma just wasn't 
didn't really seem ready for that moment, whether it was because of, they never punched back. Like once they got punched on, on Saturday, like they never really had a a successful counter punch at any point. Yeah. And they, you know, there, there was uncare. They've been so sharp. I mean, they're not the best defensive team that we had, you know, here in Omaha, they're not, you know, but they, they've just been so sharp this off season or off season, post season generally that it was kind of jarring that, you know, in the first couple of innings of the first game of the finals, like Jake Bennett uncorks three wild pitches and, you know, scoring wise, maybe it wasn't a great couple of games for Jimmy Crooks behind the plate either. Like there were some wild pitches that, you know, there were some cross-ups that could have been really past balls and, and what have you, but that's as many wild pitches as Jake Bennett had thrown all year to that point. Uh, Peyton Graham had a, just a brutal error early in that first game. And, you know, Oklahoma after the game did a good job of being like, I don't think it was jitters. And that may, that may be true. Like uh, we're, we're very quick to be like, Oh, they're, they're, they're rattled. But like, that could be, <laughs> I mean, so um, it was a- <laughs> it, it's a good point. There were 25,000 plus fans in the stands, both finals games. And it was probably 20,000 Ole Miss fans. It was, it was very much an Ole Miss home game in Charles Schwab field. And it was a massively loud Ole Miss crowd. There might've also been 20,000 more Ole Miss fans in that bar behind the right field fence. Like, honestly, like the noise coming from there is also contributing to the noise. Um, Yeah. It just, it was, so it was just tough for the tough start for Oklahoma. And it just, again, to your point, it felt like they never really punched back. I mean, even if, if you, if we really want to parse this out, they took the lead in large part in game two, because there was a miscommunication, you know, Kevin Graham was playing deep in left field. Jackson Nicholas hits a little bloop into no man's land. And it kind of felt like Kevin Graham and Jacob Gonzalez got a little bit crossed up on who was going to make the play there. It lands between them for a double. And like, if that play, if that play just gets made, it's a whole different deal. And so, you know, you take that away from Oklahoma and they really did nothing in that, in that second game. That was kind of the extent of what they did offensively. Well, it should be said that the inning before happened. And so in the sixth inning, I don't really want to like dive into the whole ins and outs of the interference rule on this particular podcast. But so in the sixth inning, they had first and third with one out, no outs, whatever. Uh, And Oklahoma drops a squeeze bunt down. On the play, the, the batter... Runs running to first base does not get into the running lane. Um, play like he's safe at first base. Ball gets away uh, from Elko, and uh, you know rattles into right field, and so the run scores, and they have runners at second and third with again either zero or one outs. They review it because Mike Bianco wants them to. Um, and actually, he says after the game, because it was shown on the Jumbotron, it was apparent to him like what had happened. And on review, they have to call interference. Uh, if they didn't call interference, they would have had to call Rob Vaughn. They probably wouldn't have had to call Rob Vaughn. Rob Vaughn probably would have like run to Indianapolis because the same thing happened to Maryland in a regional final. Um, you know, not on a not on a, a squeeze bump, but the the same situation where runner going to first base in a key moment is not in the running lane, gets called out for interference. And so that is just the way the rule is written in, in college baseball, maybe in MLB too. I'm not, not as clear if this is a only in college situation or not, but 
they had to they had to call interference there and so not only is the batter out but they have to send the runners back to their original bases so a run comes off the board for oklahoma in that moment and so if they don't review that call and again the call is the right call you can disagree with the rule but the call was made correctly um but if they don't review that play oklahoma has a lead and is cooking still in that moment uh it was a pretty big swing especially because jacob gonzalez in the next half inning gave ole miss the lead now it's one back because oklahoma did did grab those those couple runs in the seventh but uh oklahoma for a moment looked like they they had had something going there in the sixth inning uh and in the end that was uh that was nullified yeah, it was a real swing of because I wrote about this in the the last piece I did about you know Oklahoma bowing out in the span of six pitches. It goes from that happening. So there's there you're right. There is one out when that happens. So then the interference is the second out. Literally one pitch after that play, that review, Peyton Graham flies out to end the inning, and then four pitches into the next inning, Jacob Gonzalez hits the home run, and Lee was just like, "Welp." <laughs> I mean, talk about a gut punch, you know. And credit to Oklahoma because they did. I sat here and kind of like nitpicked through it, but like they did fight back a little bit there um, to, to get that lead back. Even if I, in my heart of hearts, is like I don't think that lead is going to hold up. But um, a couple things just quickly on that that run because I'm with you. I don't, you know, we can. I don't want to really want to try to fix the rules today necessarily. Um, but one is that my issue with the, with that rule that I think we could maybe look at something there is that I these runners to me are not trying to do anything here. They're just trying to run straight to the bag. This is different to me than like we, we put in a hit, whether you like or don't like the hit by pitch rule. I'm not trying to, to, to give an opinion there, but the hit by pitch rule came into play because you had a lot of guys diving in and trying to get hit by pitches. There was an intent there in most of these that I see, which happened relatively commonly that nobody's trying to like run in the lane of the throw. Like I'd love to give, players enough credit to have the situational awareness to do so but i just don't think that's the case i just think they're running straight to the bag and oh by the way if you're coming from the right hand batter's box you are kind of having to cut across and and so i just think this happens um so that's where i think like we need to figure something out because like we just need to work weave this into the game a little bit better secondly uh and i understand his frustration but in post game skip johnson said like he made the 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 plea for we need to allow the human element more into baseball and that's why i love this game and you know he made in typical skip johnson fashion said if we're gonna if we're gonna start turning to computers and all that stuff and that's what we're gonna turn the game into i'm just gonna go fishing um which is a great skip johnson line um but i actually thought just generally for this CWS, like I actually thought like, yes, is it obnoxious that we're just going to have two to three reviews every game? Like, yeah, but I thought the umpire and crew did a pretty good job being quick about them. I, I don't really remember any, and I'm sure there was at least one and a fan of whatever team got hosed on it is probably screaming at their, their, their phone or their radio right now. But I actually thought the umpire and crew did a pretty good job being quick about, re- I mean, there were a couple where they must've just looked at one or two angles and were like, okay, we got it. Um, Whereas before it felt like there had been reviews where it's like, we need to see every possible angle, you know, on the, on this review. I felt like they were pretty quick this year. I I didn't really have any gripes necessarily with review. I understand where Skip is coming from. He's also in that moment feeling burned by it. I get it. Um, But I actually thought that was a situation where 
I don't really have any gripes with review as it goes in this CWS anyway. Yeah. So I was not in the room when he said, said that I just read the transcript. I was dealing with Ole Miss celebration at the time. And I thought it read like serious sour grapes. Now, Skip Johnson being who he is may just genuinely believe that. And like, I, I may be, be putting a little bit too much on him, but I was in the room in College Park right after that happened to Maryland and that ended Maryland season as well, effectively. And Rob Vaughn was very happy that replay existed because now in, in the Maryland case, they did make the interference call on the field in real time and were replaying to figure out whether to overturn it or not. But he said that if there wasn't replay, I probably wouldn't have been around to see the end of that game, meaning like he would have gotten ejected. But because they went to replay, they come out with the ruling that they come out with. He at that point has to just say like, all right, well, that's that's the way it is. Like they went and they looked and they tried to make the right call. And this is what they are saying is to the best of their ability, the right call. And you just kind of have to live with that. And so I don't know, like I, I definitely fall more on that end than on the other end, because imagine if they hadn't been able to go and look at that and, you know, we're, we're all staring at it on our TV screens and, you know, you can see it, it happening and Mike Bianco gets himself thrown out. And like the, the, that just becomes the entire talking point of the thing. And, you know, maybe in Oklahoma's mind, it still is the talking point of the whole thing, but it, it I getting rid of replay at this point, first of all, isn't happening, but second of all, just feels like a terrible idea uh, for moments like that. Or even scaling it back because then, I mean, it already is a little bit of like a, yeah, you could say like, oh, it's a judgment leave. call. Like, don't don't review judgment calls. Like, review safe out. But like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, that's I'm, it. I'm I, I I definitely err on the side of review what you want to review uh, and get them right because the alternative is not a good one. Right. I, I think there's this this weird thing since we're here. Like, I think there's this weird thing too where we have had review, and I say we, the Royal We Sports fans have had review in our sport. Like, I don't know when the NFL, which was the first league to do it, went to review, but it's been a long time now. And I think we've just gotten so, we've gotten so um, accustomed to it that we have kind of forgotten what it's like to have a team lose a game on a bad call and they're just not being anything you can do about it. Now it still happens like ball strike, I guess, you know, whatever, but like, the stuff that's reviewable like there there used to be a time when teams would lose games in whatever sport on bad calls and there just was nothing you could do about it and i think we as a, as a sporting populace have kind of forgotten that that used to happen and what that used to feel like and so yes we nitpick review about what we can and can't review or that uh you know we hate how long they take or whatever else but like it is definitely preferable to having a game end and you and i having to come to a podcast for example and say like well yeah, they blew that one and it changed the game and there was nothing they could do about it. Like that, that sucked. And I think we've just kind of, it's been so long now. I just think we've kind of forgotten that that is the alternative. And that is certainly much worse than having more reviews or longer reviews or whatever. And Hey, let's, let's clean up the reviews. Let's make them quicker. Like I said, I liked the CWS. They felt pretty quick. Um, so let's see what we can do to make it better. But like peeling it back just seems like the wrong answer because then you're, you're going to have games decided on incorrect calls and that's just um nobody wants that 
the uh the one thing i'll say about the the rule itself before we move on like i there is something to be said of is it too punitive like should runners have to go back because usually like the runner has scored uh like in, in both this case and the maryland case the run had scored by the time like the interference happened uh so like do we feel good about that aspect of it but i i would say like whatever just the rule can stay the same just if you just put the double base out at first base and you if you want the runner to not run in the line like in every other instance the runner is afforded the width of the base and at first base they're not i haven't gone into the history of why baseball decided first base is different from every other base uh but they create this running lane so okay like but then give them a target in the running lane that they can go to if that's if that's the way you want this thing to go instead of giving them the width of first base give them their own target in their running lane and then they will probably go into the running lane like they are just trying to like go from a to b as fast as they can and you know it's understandable if you just like like, like joe i don't think at least in either the maryland case or the oklahoma case there was any malicious like let's get in front of the runner like you see that sometimes on drop third strikes uh, because there's enough time that you're like looking around like oh the catcher dropped it like where is he like I'm gonna get in his way but like not on these plays and so give them give them a base to run to and I'm sure they will do it yeah I think that's right that's like I said I, I would love I would love to give the players the credit that they had that kind of situational awareness but no I just think they're just trying to run in a, in the straightest line as possible straight to the bag and like the running lane is out of the way from what they're trying to do. I mean, that's just the, the long and the short of it. So um, especially for a right-handed batter. And so anyway, yes, I, I I'm, I'm with you. Like let's, let's throw that double base out there. Like um, give them, give them something to work with, but um, yeah, but it, putting a bow on it, the, the rule was called correctly. It's frustrating for Oklahoma. It really did seem to swing that game a little bit, but um, it was for better or worse applied correctly. All right. We're uh we're going to get into a couple other things here in a second, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, so I mean, I feel like we've hit on the actual game components enough now here. Joe, let's talk. We talked a little bit big picture before. Let's let's circle back to that. Ole Miss now has won its first ever national title. That follows in the wake of Mississippi State winning the national championship last year. Uh, so two part question here. One, uh, three part question. One, are you ready to welcome? your new Mississippi overlords of college baseball Two: which Magnolia state school wins the national title next year. And three, like, what does this actually mean now for Mississippi state and Ole Miss to have one, like on this monkey off their back, won the national championship. Where are like, they're already massive, massive powerhouses in the sport. Where do they go from here now? Well, to your first question, yes, I, I'm very much ready to welcome them as overlords, um, because on a, you know, on a serious note, like they're both programs that have been really good for a long time and just hadn't been able to break through. So it is kind of cool on some base level to just say, hey, these are programs that want it bad. Their fans want it bad, like, and they they got it done. So that's great. And um you know, Mississippi State might quibble with the order, right? Because it was able to hold this over Ole Miss's head for all of one year. <laughs> and now they're back on equal footing. So maybe Mississippi State would have preferred it happen in the reverse order. I don't I don't know. I don't know what the psychology would be there. Well, no, but you can say you got it done first. I guess so. You'll always like, you'll, have you'll, that. that will, you will always have that. Yeah, certainly they are disappointed, though, that they did not have a longer period of time where that was the case. But uh, such is life. Um, for, as far as next year goes, like I'm riding with the Delta Devils. Missouri Valley State. That's the Delta Devils, right? I had to have that right. Yeah, you are correct. Mississippi Valley State, the Delta Devils. Yeah. Uh, interesting choice over, you know, Jackson State or Southern Miss, but sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the Delta Devils for sure. Um, Currently looking for a head coach right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I um, in the big picture, like it, it sets them up well. They are clearly both committed to this. And I think, I don't want to say it was necessary, but like we are going into a bit of a new, a brave new world, you might say in college baseball where we're looking at scholarship caps being taken off. And they're obviously going to be more on the have than have not side when it comes to that, the sec more generally. Um, so there's that we're also in a world where we've got the transfer, uh, you know, the players are able to transfer freely. And a lot of times where players go is based on what you have in, in NIL. And um, that is maybe isn't necessarily working in their favor at this precise moment. doesn't mean that that can't change. Um, so I say all that to say, like there is, there is some uncertainty about what this next step looks like for a lot of different programs. Anybody who tells you, we know exactly how who is going to benefit from all of this precisely. Anybody who tells you they know that is lying because they don't, they don't know. There are a lot of variables. We can, we have educated guesses. I'm not saying we're completely blind to it. So I say all that to say like build up any 
in all equity you can now to try to give yourself momentum as you go into a new world in college baseball. You would much rather head into this era in a position of strength than the alternative. And certainly both of those Mississippi schools are doing so. Yeah, I, I think that it's important that they're they're going into that now. I also just think it's important for them as, uh, you know, what what they what they view themselves rightfully as is, you know, these are two of the biggest fan bases in the sport, two of the you know iconic stadiums. Like they care at such a high level, and I I like that that's now been rewarded. Right that. Uh, you would be hard pressed to find two fan bases in college baseball that, that wanted this more. And like, obviously the fans didn't will this to happen. Like that would have happened a long time ago for these two schools. If, if they could have willed it to happen, but to have them be rewarded, to have the investment that the athletic departments have shown be rewarded. I I think that that's a really positive thing for the sport. Um, you know, we talked a lot going into the, the World Series about how the event has become, you know, major conference dominated. And if it is going to be major conference dominated, like, let's see the schools that are are putting up, like, are are doing everything that they need to do to win. Like, let's let's see them rewarded for it. And so I, I think that is a positive year of of the last two years, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, look, I mean, um, there is a, a sameness within the sec being at the top of the, of college baseball. And that is, is going to continue. However, you certainly can't say that about those two programs. Like, yes, they are good year over year. Those teams host regionals all the time. Um, but they are new champions. And so I think, you know, if, if we are entering a time in college baseball where, Hey, this is, this version of Omaha, and we talked about this on a previous podcast while we were here, if this version of Omaha is going to be what Omaha is, well, okay, let's, let's at least get some new champions. And they've given us that the last two years. We can, we can say that at the very least. All right. Oklahoma, bigger picture. Um, this is a program that when they were announced that they were going into the SEC from a baseball perspective, I thought, many thought, okay, but like, are they going to, how's that going to go for them? Like not saying that this is Missouri 2.0, but also they are not Texas A&M. So what does that mean? Well, this year shows that the ceiling is quite high. They announced a significant stadium renovation while we were in Omaha that that was announced. Um, you know, they've now played for a national championship more recently than any big 12 school. Um, you know, they're, we, we can talk about how good Texas Tech and TCU have been uh, over the last decade plus. Oklahoma just played for the national title. Neither, neither of the, those two schools has done that. And so now, as they prepare to enter the SEC in a couple of years, uh, they're doing so in more of a position of strength. I mean, what does this mean for Oklahoma kind of in the long term? In the immediate term, I don't know how good the Sooners are going to be next year. I think they'll be okay. Uh, but Cade Horton may just have pitched himself out of Norman, which is very bad news for the 2023 Sooners. But more in the medium term here, Joe, what, what do you think this means for the Sooners? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think it says something about, hey, this team is going to compete in the SEC or has the ability to compete in the SEC better than better than we thought, especially because it's not just the on field, because I don't I don't want to take anything away from them. 
because they earned all of this run they made throughout the postseason. Um, one of the one of the best teams in college baseball, even had they not made this deep run to the, the finals, like one of the best teams in college baseball over the second half of the season. But any team can make a, a run, right? It doesn't mean that that team is destined to, you know, be be a, a power moving forward. Um, they just, those sometimes runs like that happen. However, I do think there is something there when you combine the run they made with, as you mentioned, announcing some improvements to Eldale Mitchell Park, which you and I have both talked about on the podcast. Like there, I mean, they were behind in the Big 12 in terms of facilities. And then obviously going into the SEC, they fall even further behind the top end programs there at the, at the very least. So getting that done is huge. Um, so they, they, we just kind of assumed, as you mentioned, that they were they were going to have some work to do. I don't think anybody doubted Texas's ability to go into the SEC and like, yes, are they moving into a nicer neighborhood and that there might be some struggle there perhaps, but nobody was questioning like the long-term viability of Texas baseball in the SEC. Oklahoma was a different story. And I was part of that. Like, I'm not trying to shy away from that. Like, I thought this is a program, hey, they're going to have to get their stuff together a little bit. And I think what we just kind of witnessed is them getting their stuff together a little bit. A run to the finals is no joke. You know, a couple wins from a national title, improvements coming to the facility. I think there's also something to be said about seeing what Cade Horton did, you know, his ability to shine like that. Like, yes, the fact that he's probably pitched uh, pitched his way, as you said, out of Norman. And, and uh, that means by extension, obviously pitched his way into being drafted in a place that's going to be enticing to sign. Um but that is ultimately good news for the program generally because you you want to continue to produce players like that. If you're if if I were a betting man and I am most definitely not, um, it's this this does not mean Oklahoma is is I think going to rocket ship up the top of the SEC. I still think there are things that are going to make their road to being a top end contender in the SEC year over year difficult. Um, but it does show they can do it. And I think that that shows something that I, I think a lot of people, myself included, weren't sure about coming into the season back when they announced they were, they were going into the SEC. So I think, I think this run, everything that's gone into it has changed, at least my perception, I can only speak for myself, has changed my perception of, of kind of what this, what this program can achieve on the top end, because they did this without some of the things that are still coming into that program. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really big deal that they were able to build this momentum ahead of time so that they're not trying to do this like immediately as they enter the sec or once they get into the sec uh you know they're going to walk into the sec with those renovations complete they're going to you know be able to recruit off of this run for a while it's not just kate horton it's the development of peyton graham and um you know like that they've brought in intriguing players like they're freshmen that that were a big part of this and and so i i think that they are going to be able to build some momentum here i don't quite know what 20 again i don't know what 23 is going to look like a lot of that's going to depend on whether kate horton decides to come back or not um he's got like, like he the the last month of him has been rocket shitting up rocket shipping up draft boards it's an important one to uh, enunciate there <laughs> he uh he is just a redshirt freshman though and he's thrown like 50 college innings so i i don't know how long you know, i i don't i don't know like maybe maybe he decides that he wants to come back because if he comes back you know you're looking at a top 10 top 15 type pick in a year 
So I, you know, we'll see how the draft handles him. We'll see what happens with him, but they have freshmen coming back. This, even though, even if they lose Graham and Horton and Treadway, like this is a program that doesn't have to have to be going anywhere. And I should throw Jake Bennett and Trevin Michael into that as well. They're, they're, they are losing a fair amount of talent to pro ball, but again, like much like last year when they lost all three members of their starting rotation, they were the only team in the country. Maybe that was 20, whatever it was that, that could say that. And you know, they have just more ability to show like, Hey, we, we can develop pro talent here. We can win here. And you just continue to build off of that. So I, I think that's a big deal for Oklahoma. Uh, all right, Joe, the other thing that happened this weekend, other than the finals, was everything that happened in Baton Rouge. Um, so since we last recorded, LSU has picked up transfers from Tommy White, uh, NC State freshman Tommy White, who hit 26 homers this year, uh, Vanderbilt right-hander Christian Little, Vanderbilt shortstop Carter Young. Uh, I think those are all the transfers that have happened since we've recorded last uh, so obviously those are three really big players to add. And also they hired Wes Johnson away from the twins where he was the pitching coach to become their pitching coach next year. That is moving a major league pitching coach into LSU tiger pitching coach um, direct, direct move. So obviously LSU had a great weekend. Um, you know, if it had happened like next weekend, this would have been the talk of the sport as it was, it was pretty significant. Um, no one had a better weekend than Ole Miss, but only Ole Miss had a better weekend than LSU. No, I think that's probably about right. I mean, that the getting Wes Johnson back from the pro ranks, even though there was probably some aspect of Wes Johnson just wanting to get back to college baseball, it does show something about how committed LSU is to, to this you know, um, you know, getting back to winning a national title because like low key for a program like LSU, like it's, it's been a while since they've been on the biggest stage. And so they are, they are clearly going all in on it. And um, so getting him back, I think is a getting West Johnson back in the college game, I think is a signal to how serious they are. The transfers obviously kind of speak for themselves, especially Tommy white that adds to a couple of guys they had before this weekend, you know, Jack Pineda from Baylor is a middle infielder who started a bunch of games at short for Baylor also hit above 300 both of his seasons at Baylor and Dylan Tabrock, who is Creighton's ace um, and who is a legit like I mean Creighton's a good program so I don't need to like do the thing where I say like you know trust me he's good like because Creighton's a good program um, but he's been their ace for a few years now his stuff is also good enough to get out in the SEC he's not a guy who uh, is just you know able to get out big east batters um so uh they yeah so they've they're sitting at five transfers now I'm sure there will be more um but all five are transfers that could have gone, you know, pretty much anywhere they wanted to go. And they ended up at LSU. So heck of a heck of a weekend there. It's going to be fascinating to see um, this all come together in, in 2023 and beyond as, as the Tigers, like I mentioned, look to get back to the biggest stage that they, that they really just haven't been to in a while. Yeah. They, uh, they played for the national title in 17, haven't been back since. And uh, that's a long time for LSU, obviously 20, was canceled and there was a coaching change in there and all the rest of it. But I, the expectation in Baton Rouge is that you play for the national title pretty much every year that Omaha is at least the expectation. And um, this is a, this is going after that in a big way. Uh, they also have one of the top two recruiting classes in the country. As of right now, Vanderbilt and LSU are 
like operating on another plane in terms of 2022 recruiting classes from the rest of the, the country. Obviously, the draft is going to have a big impact on that, but there's a chance that LSU adds more premium talent, um, you know, from their their recruiting class, and I they are they are clearly building something there. And hiring Wes Johnson generated a whole lot of headlines, deservedly so. But um, the the totality of the weekend, both both hiring Wes Johnson and landing those transfers, uh, was. Uh, was 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 really significant and um i mean i'm already excited to see lsu in in 2023 and i'm sure a lot of other people are too when you start looking at the uh the talent that they can stack just the idea of dylan cruz and tommy white and trey morgan um hitting back to back to back i mean that is uh that's kind of frightening uh, if you're an opposing pitcher and, and very exciting if you're just a college baseball Observer, I guess maybe not if you're an SC, a fan of another SEC West team, but uh, from a neutral or LSU fan perspective, that uh, that lineup looks looks very exciting. Yeah, we will um, perhaps later this. Well, almost certainly, I say perhaps, but almost certainly later this summer, we will do a, a transfer centric episode once things have really shaken out. Um, but the 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 way the transfer portal stuff this season, late season, has has shaken out has been kind of funny because it's it's one of those deals where LSU has been so aggressive in this space that I have heard roughly 25 to 30 players linked to LSU just through like hearsay stuff. Like I hear so-and-so is like, I hear he's going to LSU. And like a lot of those have come true, right? Like <laughs> the, the names we just rattled off, like those are all guys that I heard. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's looking at LSU. And like, it's just kind of funny that we just, we, we know that LSU is playing in this space. We know obviously LSU is an attractive place to go as a college baseball player. And so all of those things combined have led to it just being one of those things where I would believe any name linked to LSU at this point. And I feel like I've heard just about all of them linked to LSU. Yes. So we uh, we'll keep tracking all of that. Uh, Joe is prepping his uh, his list of, of the best impact transfers in the country. I'm sure you'll find that at baseballamerica.com soon. Uh, there's plenty over at baseballamerica.com right now, including all America teams, final top 25, our stories wrapping up the college world series. So, so plenty to check out there and the draft is in just a few weeks. So you can uh, start reading up on uh, all the draft content uh, as well. If you're into that, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And I think from here with the season over, we are probably flipping the switch and going into our postseason or off season rather uh, podcasting schedule, which means once a week, you can find the podcast, the Baseball America podcast, on any of your favorite podcasting apps, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Hit that follow, subscribe button, whatever the case is, um, as, we, uh, as we will keep going here uh, throughout the offseason. At some point, we'll start bringing on guests again uh, for, for our interviews. Uh, but make sure you are, you are subscribed so that uh, that, that keeps, uh, keeps on flowing right there into, into your phone as we uh as we post these things also uh thank you all for listening throughout the season it's uh it 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 feels like it it was forever ago that this thing started uh but also a a little bit like a it it flashes by as well so uh we appreciate you sticking through uh the whole season with us or whatever part of the season you jumped in on and um you know it, it is uh joe and i really enjoy 
what we're able to do. And so you guys listening to to the podcast twice a week during the during the the regular season and, and the postseason, uh, we 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 really appreciate that. We do. I um I that was my that, that was me struggling with the mute button. Um, <laughs> I just get so panicked. Um, no, that that is that is a good note to end on here. It is always much appreciated. All of you following along, um, putting up with us, um, you know, especially th- thank you to those who are with us in the off season and early in the regular season. If you just jumped on the postseason, forget you. Um, no, I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, we appreciate those who come on the postseason as well. I certainly understand jokes aside that, um, you know, some people come on just for the ride in the postseason. and Hey, I get it. Like it's a, it's a fun postseason format. You don't have to tell Teddy and I that. And, um, so the, the people who are more college casual college baseball observers, we, we also do appreciate you jumping on board, um, as well. Certainly, um, you know, the numbers reflect that, that we've, um, got strong support out there. So we, we really do uh, appreciate all of you that, that stick with us week after week. And, um, you know, it's, it's because of that, that we feel motivated to continue through the off season. And boy, there are some dark times in terms of us trying to figure out what we're going to talk about on a weekly basis in the off season, but we get it done because we know, there are um, a lot of you out there who who look forward to it, and um, that's that's always pretty cool. Knowing that there there are people there that are hanging with us in, I don't know, November on a college baseball podcast. On that note, if you have anyone that you would like us to interview, um, let us know. We'll happily ask them what their favorite sandwich is. Uh, but yeah, we we like to bring on coaches, players, other guests from the college baseball world. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably get that rolling in August. If I, if I had to guess, we, we got some, we got some other shows to deal with in, in July, uh, draft carousel transfers, etc. cetera. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be rolling with those interviews sooner than later. So if you, uh, if there is anyone you want to hear, uh, either re- leave us a review there on Apple podcasts or hit us on Twitter. Again, I'm at Ted Cahill and Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, again, thank you all for listening to this episode. And throughout the, the season and, and the postseason, uh, Millie thanks you as well. I know she got on this podcast. Maybe that's a highlight for you. Maybe it's a detriment. I don't know. But she's appreciative as well. Uh, so for Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.